the new channel. The new channel. Hashtag TNC Now. The views, opinions, and insights expressed in the following shows are those of the hosts, producers, guests, and viewers. They do not necessarily reflect the position of the channel. Viewer discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to the new channel. Our passion transforms a community that sees and shares all things new. This is Ayana Garcia streaming from Colorado Springs, Colorado, USA. And this is Gabriones from Manila, Philippines. This is the TNA podcast and TNC Express. I have a new friend, and um, at first there were very serious people. Magandang araw and mabuhay, Cheryl First of all, I'd like to greet my co-host. A happy, happy birthday. Thank you. I hope you're enjoying your day today. And what a way to celebrate your birthday here in the Philippines um, with a new episode, uh, especially celebrating the power of the youth and activism. So for today's episode, it's difficult to navigate through digital spaces, let alone be always on the top of the fast-changing landscape. And this kind of difficulty transcends across generations. May it be the Gen X, the Millennials, or even the rising dominators of the online world, the Gen Zs. But some people champion and drive online conversations with ease. And dealing with smart shaming, call-out culture, cancel culture, fighting against trolls, launching a youth force, working on a digital media giant, and what have you, he has dealt with it all. Joining us today is a fellow from the Young Southeast Asian Leaders Initiative, or YCLE. Jules Gian, the current Communications and Events Coordinator at the Asian Development Bank, has an extensive background in media and community leadership. He began his career as a reporter for PTV4 from 2012 to 2014, and subsequently transitioned into a TV host role for the same network from 2014 to 2020. Besides his media, his work in media, Jules have made significant contributions to youth empowerment and community development. In 2014, he established the National Alliance of Youth Leaders Incorporated and later founded the 2030 Youth Force in the Philippines. 
He also served as a youth empowerment consultant for the UNDP Asia Pacific. Jules Giang's diverse experiences include a role as the head of community for Rappler in 2021. Currently, he holds the position of president at the Maginhawa Food Community Incorporated, which is an organization representing a collection of restaurants in the renowned food street of Quezon City. Hi, everyone. Hi, Gab and Ayana. Hello. Hi, Jules. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Okay. We're very excited to have you here in this episode. For To start off, I'd like you to share about when did you start your active participation and different advocacies? Because I know you're from UP, but when exactly did you start to have this kind of awakening and active involvement in different movements and advocacies? Well, yeah, I think it all started when I was a student leader in UP. But um, my belief was, after graduating in 2014, the challenge was how I can personally continue these advocacies even after being elected in student council. Because I think that's the measure of a genuine uh, citizen as a genuine student leader, that even though you're not elected anymore, how can you continue the, these advocacies? So that's the reason actually why we created the National Alliance of Youth Leaders. So it was more of a collective decision of my colleagues back then. How can we continue our advocacies even after student council? And after that, um, it all continued to establishing the 2030 Youth Force for the SDGs and other uh, groups as well. So yeah, in 2014, it all started there. Thank you for sharing. I'd like to point out that you started when you were still a student leader, right? I wanted to know more about the challenges of working in the development workspace, especially when you're still starting young. You don't have money, you don't have a lot of resources yeah. and network. So what are the major difficulties that you encounter during the stages? Yeah, for sure it was uh, the top of the list would be the lack of resources. Uh, I mean, for, for sure, uh, other student leaders and youth leaders there will uh, relate. It's the lack of resources, but to be able to, you know, uh, win over that challenge, it's really on the power of partnerships. How can you pitch your ideas, your, your, um, your, your activities or your projects or programs to, to groups, to individuals who would like to invest in your idea so it's more on having a good skill on storytelling on how can you convince other people that your idea is a worthwhile initiative so yeah i, I think top of my head right now is the lack of resources i love that i love that you you emphasize that even although even if you know you had the lack of resources um the challenge was to Prove and well, it looks like for from 2014, you're able to prove that, uh, regardless of you know that challenge of starting young, mm -hmm. lack of resources, and obviously without to start with that without nothing, it's it's such a challenge. And so, okay. Jules, I know you have like extensive experience, you know, working closely with young people, um, witnessing the significant transformations in youth participation over the years, like 2014. I, a long time ago <laughs> um, and you know you've witnessed and went through with all of that and considering these developments uh, do you believe that today's youth are more actively engaged or 
you know, more indifferent towards social issues, just based on your experience way back 2014 and, you know, the status quo right now? I think um, way back in 2014, so I just um, did the math and that was almost 10 years ago, Bala. Wow. <laughs> so almost a decade ago. I, I think the difference uh, between the, gen, uh, the youth back then and the youth right now is the youth of today is more heavily connected because of social media. Because back then, uh, I, I mean, of course, we had Facebook already and Twitter, etc. But right now, I mean, you have AI, you have other platforms, you have Discord. I mean, the Gen Zs right now have a different kind of, of language already. So I think they're more um, social media savvy. They are the digital natives natives right now, I, I like to believe. So I think they have the edge on which platforms to use, which communication, which language to use to be able to, you know, reach out and mobilize uh, people from social media. But I think the challenge right now across all generations is, okay, you're active online, but how can you translate that to offline impact, right? I think at the end of the day, that's still the, the measure of success for any for any dig digital um, endeavor. How can you translate that offline? Because um, considering data right now, I mean, it's not it's not hundred percent that all Filipinos are still are, are connected already to social media. So how can we translate those digital efforts to offline um, efforts? I love that. And you've actually, because <laughs> I have a follow-up question, you've actually talked about that, um, you know, speaking of social media, and I love the, you know, coining the term digital natives. I think I'll be using that moving forward. <laughs> so with that being said, I would like to explore one of your, you know, remarkable experience or accomplishments, um, co-founding the 2030 Youth Force of the Philippines, which boasts an impressive, you know, following of 27,000 on Facebook, a community of 3,600 members. And with that, could you please share with us the journey of in, you know, igniting and nurturing a youth-led movement like this? Um, in 2016, I think. Yeah, 2016. So it all started with a Facebook post. So um, I, I just posted on Facebook, uh, are there any interested people here to collab for the Sustainable Development Goal? And then a lot of people, uh, colleagues and even new faces, new people commented there and they showed their interest, interest that they're um, interested with the SDGs. And from then, we created... Uh, Facebook group, I think, or a group chat. And then we just brainstorm on what we want to do. And then months after, we had the 2030 Youth Force in the Philippines. So it all started with the Facebook post. And then right now, we're, we're collaborating with institutions, with UNDP, with other um, government agencies, etc. So I think that's one example of how you can use social media for social good. Um, I mean, there's th that was a concept back then it, when we were students. I think we're contemporaries, right? <laughs> when we were students in uh, in the early part of the 2010s, etc. Uh, the, the concept of social media for social good. But right now, the difference is um, social media is being weaponized for so many reasons, right? So I think uh, the messaging right now is how can we take back the space of social media for social good? 
um a, a lot of us in, in our sphere no in our arena are still really doing a lot of things to make sure that social media will be used for social good so how ca- how can we uh think of ways to collectively take that space back again for social good despite the the proliferation of of uh disinformation among others so i think this is one of the things that we should um think about Sorry, lumayo ako sa mga usapan. Alam ko, youth parts na yung pinag-uusapan natin. <laughs> Sorry. Actually, you're not. We're actually leading towards that later on. But, Jules, you have worked with different media outlets in the past. You've worked with PTV and also with Raptor. How would you describe the current state of media in the country right now? Do you think our media landscape is eroding? Or what's what are your thoughts on this one? I think um, since time and again until now, it's still media is still being threatened by so many forces, um, either by the government, those powerful people. Um, so th- the challenge for our friends in the media sector is how can we continuously, you know, um, fight for um, democracy on the bigger level, right? Because we we have a thriving democracy so long as you have um, a, um, stable and thriving media space. Um, especially during the pandemic. I, I mean, coming from the the previous administration, um, the, the, there were heavily attacks on independent media, on, on critical media, on media that is critical to the government. So, being critical is not being opposition. It's basically more on the media doing their jobs, right? Um, the media is there. Before social media, journalists were the gatekeepers of truth. That, that was the concept of, of, of being a journalist back then. But right now, because social media was able to somehow equalize the playing field, that anyone could be could become uh, a journalist at their own right. But, you know, the difference is people people should take note of this, that journalism takes a lot of process of, 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 of training. And when I say of process, in simple terms, journalists, journalists don't just write down or, or cover stories and then they just um, upload it on their platforms. It takes so much process. There's an editor. There are so many people in the newsroom to, you know, to vet their stories. So there's a process. And that's the difference with other people doing um, content creation. I mean, I'm not demonizing other, other content creators because there are a lot of content creators who are also doing self-censorship. So that's the difference. Eh? With journalists, they have a sense of accountability. They're accountable to themselves. They're accountable to their newsroom, to their to their um, companies. Meanwhile, for individuals, usually they're just accountable to them to themselves. So it's more on being responsible enough on which kind of stories, which kind, what kind of languages will mm-hmm. they use. So um, yeah, I think up until now, I mean, like Rappler. Um, Good thing some of the cases from uh, for Maria Ressa was already dismissed, but there are still other cases pending right now. So it's still uh, it's still a manifestation that media is still um, threatened. I mean, in, in 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 the beginning of this administration, there was um, Percy Lapid, right? Was was killed. Um, 
right before uh before going to his to his uh, radio booth so one life is too much already right so i think that's the that's the current state of media right now in the philippines still threatened okay thank you jules for yeah. saying that no um before i give you like the second question on media. I want to ask if you still have plans on going back to working in a media organization? Um, I think yes. Um, right now, I, I think I'm taking this as a brief uh, break because I, I, after, after the very tiring and yeah, exhausting election coverage from last year, I, I'm taking... A quick break from from the media sector, but I I feel that and I, I I really want. I think media is still my passion up until now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, we're looking forward to that one. Last on media, Jules. Um, in last year's survey of Pulse Asia, it was revealed that majority of Filipinos believe that journalists and media are the second biggest sources of disinformation or fake news in the Philippines. What is your take on this eroding trust of the public to the media? And how do we actually reclaim this kind of public trust? Um, yeah, um, that's a very sad reality you know, that the majority of the respondents at least of that survey do not uh, really rely on media or journalists for their information um i think it's not really the fault of the consumers or, or the people it's more on because of social media as i mentioned they social media was able to equalize the playing field so it's more on how media can can be more accessible to the consumers because i mean just go to youtube or to facebook or to tiktok of, of course right tiktok um they can they can just subscribe to any person and be their source of information on a daily basis so how can media replicate that kind of accessibility because um from before i mean as a consumer as well um, there's this feeling of a wall, right, from uh, a media outfit, uh, that it's an institution, that usually um, news, new, uh, I mean, yeah, newscasters or journalists are usually um, apart from the public. But right now, I mean, for, for, for instance, um, TV, um, ABS-CBN, they have this patrol ng Pilipino concept right now, right? The, the mobile journalism. So, you know, th that kind of approach is is an approach that tears down the the wall of media between the consumers. So, I think that's a good strategy to make the consumers feel they're, we're alike, mm -hmm. right? We're citizens as well. We also use our, our phones, like how you do it we use our phones to to take pictures to take video so we also do that but the difference is we're using our phones to create stories factual stories for you so i think um it's the challenge right now is with the media on how to make themselves more out there accessible and to be fair to our our, our colleagues in the media they're really doing so many strategies to make that happen. From the end of consumers, I mean, it, it's so easy to say, no. But uh, usually, we all have our biases, right? The the only thing is, 
are your biases for the truth or what? And that's another debatable point because when you're talking about the truth, it has so many layers. It has so many versions right now. So um, I, I think it takes creativity for for uh, our friends in the media and the advocates as well. The advocates should should also help the, the media sector to make people realize that, hey, let's go back to to the once gatekeepers of truth because they've been studying that for for the for so many de- decades i mean it's their job to 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 create to to relay the truth to the people right so yeah that's my take on that well thank you jules now you know we've talked about that aspect let's flip it on the other side i'd like to you know delve into your personal encounters you have some um, with trolls, you know, smart shaming, cancel culture, and or call out culture, being an influencer within your generation. What are your thoughts on these trends? Do you believe they are worthy of celebration? Or, you know, you could share some of your own experiences in dealing with them if you've encountered any. So when I was in PTV, so I was with PTV for eight years, right? And as you know, PTV is the state need is a state media, so it's being run by the government. So obviously, the content that we produce, the the mandate of PTV PTV basically is to propagate the the programs of the government because it's the mandate. So basically, us uh, hosts of or I was a host before of PTV4. That was my main task. So during that time, the criticisms I was um, getting on almost a daily basis was I was a puppet, I, I was a mouthpiece of the government, something like that. And um, I mean, coming from 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 the from UP, right, uh, with my with my with my uh, classmates or my batchmates who are very critical of the government. So I think it goes without saying that. It's pretty normal that I would be getting that um, that kind of criticism, but you know, um, it's more uh, my belief during that time was I I'm in the government not for uh, an individual or a personality. I'm there for to serve the people basically because I I still think that government can still be a good place uh, to to you know to to make meaningful changes in society because at, at, at the end of the day it's their job right to do that so uh, that, that's the that's the usual criticism i was getting that b- back then and then when i transferred to rappler obviously a turned a turn of I- events the, the the usual criticism i was getting was um i'm a communist uh, <laughs> i'm um an anti-government etc so Kumbaga parang I, I was able to navigate both worlds within a decade, right? Being part of government and being part of a media that's, that is critical of the government. So my realization there is there are there's a division within our society, really, because I, I was I was um, I was a witness of that. I was a an, an a receiver of the, those kinds of criticism. So. Um, cancel culture. I think if there's one platform that you can see this on almost a daily basis or a weekly basis, it's on Twitter, right? Yeah. Um, th- th- the joke there is, um, how how do they say this? Parang 
ikaw yung nabunot for this week something like that so <laughs> you're 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 the topic you're you're the lucky or the 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 lucky person to be canceled this week you're the main topic for this week yeah. so um i think um my take on cancel culture is as i always say in in, in the lectures of of gab's organization in, in break the fake it's more on it should be call out culture because i think with cancel culture there's no redeeming there's no redemption basically when you're canceling because when you're canceling you feel like for example with tony gonzaga she was canceled so many times because of obvious reasons right but from our end as the canceler there's uh probably there's an instant um sure that you were able to cancel this uh, celebrity without realizing that she is still Tony Gonzaga. You know, she still has the connections. You just canceled her in, in, in this particular platform, but she's still Tony Gonzaga and is able to, you know, get opportunities. Kumbaga parang lumipat lang siya ng ibang mundo. Diba? And she still has the, 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 the clout, etc. So usually cancel culture is being used against uh, powerful people, celebrities, among others. But to me, what's more um, effective is to call out, call out culture. Because there's a process of giving change a chance, basically. You're reaching out to the person that, telling this person that, hey, your stance on this issue is, is problematic because of this and that. You know, you're trying to engage rather than cancel immediately a person. Because if you're calling out an um, influential person which has um, a good depth work, I mean, imagine, imagine making this person have um, a change of, of stance on a particular issue. So, for example, if this person is anti-LGBT, and then you're able to convince this person that, hey, uh, equality, etc., etc. And then if that person will have a change of mindset, that person can influence uh, his or her network, right? So I think that the best way here is to call out, give change a chance, and then, yeah, just engage and don't cancel just like that. Yeah. I love that. I well, before everything else, I, you know, I admire your courage to be vulnerable, specifically moving from, you know, one channel or one um, entity towards the next. And it's, you know, it's been a whirlwind for me just looking at, you know, coming from now in a different place and hearing everything from media. Also, thank you for sharing that perspective um, on media itself, because, you know, it, it can be very challenging. And I really admire the position where you're at and where you're now and be able to be vulnerable um, and take on those challenges and still, you know, set as an example of, you know, as this generation <laughs> that we're facing or being labeled for what we are, um, we're able to go with the flow and adapt to, you know, the challenges and whatever come our way. So props to you. Thank you. I want to join this conversation no, on that too. Before before I'd like to start an, a new question, Jules, I have some yeah. thoughts on the previous points you've raised no, about making media more accessible, that being the first task at hand, but that 
two is a challenge given that some of our broadcast giants do not have the franchise to reach rural communities. And on second point as well on the influencers having platform, there are certain influencers who do enjoy the clout, even if it's not really that of a positive ordeal. I mean, it's easy yeah. for them to just, you know, cancel businesses. And still, a lot of media entities are giving them that kind of platform. So, I oh, mean, yes. this is really a <laughs> tricky situation or landscape, even for some media companies. And I think it's important that we call out certain media entities that are giving some content creators and influencers the platform to mm -hmm. enable misogynist remarks and what have you. Um, before, uh, I just wanted to point that out. But anyway, my question really is about the youth now, because this is where you really are um, specializing with. How can we encourage the youth especially those considered Gen Zs, to use mm -hmm. their being digital natives for activi activism? Yeah. Um, well, I think for that part, um, you should go, we should go back to the basics first and make them understand what activism is. Because in the past years, activism has been heavily, heavily demonized as uh, activism is like equals to communism, as if communism is evil, right? Um, so it's more on making them understand what activism is. And in simple terms, what I always say, activism is basically a way of life, a way of life beyond oneself. Um, it's more on having a change of perspective that you're not just a yes person, that you'll just accept everything that is laid out to you, just support everything because uh, those elected um, did this or did that or those were their decisions. It's more on having a critical mindset. I mean, we, we are being educated for that, right? Especially um, if you are a student and you, you feel that activism is bad, you, you, the, the challenge for you right now is how can you make your education purposeful as early as now? I mean, you don't you do not need to wait to graduate and go to the workforce to have an impact and to make I mean to make your education uh, like a good investment for you as early as now. You can um, make your education purposeful already. So that's number one. Um, engaged with. We, we need to engage the youth and make them understand that activism is not bad after all, but a way of life. Number two is um, how can they maximize their creativity? I mean, there are so many content creators right now who are using their creativity, right? Um, they have skits. They have so many kinds of strategies to engage their their audience. And then you realize that, oh, okay, um, that particular content has a deep message, apparently. So that kind of creativity. So we should encourage them more to use their TikToks, their Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, etc. to use those platforms and then inject um, a strate strategic messaging about how people can care more for society basically and number three the, the gen z should realize their strengths um how can they cre create impact co collectively i mean the data shows right now right that 
that they have a huge following because they are digital native so they they know this word basically so kumbaga mas gamay nila yung 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 ginagalawan nila ngayon eh. because during our time again assuming that we are contemporaries um we were in the phase of transition between pre social media to social media but this generation right now is purely social media right so from our end we from our generation at least the millennials we understand the value of offline efforts right and then we also understand the value of of online efforts but right now it's purely online efforts plus you had the pandemic right two years pandemic of just being in your houses so kumbaga parang it it was pounded further that it's all social media right now so it's more on I think our messaging to the youth of today is go ahead and maximize your creativity on social media but never forget to also reach out offline because um, not everyone is in social media. And this is my usual uh, spill to those using Twitter, to those who feel that Twitter is basically um, the whole Philippines already. It's not. I mean, go to the... the read up data right now it's just fifth usually on the fifth in average among all social media facebook and youtube is still um, on the top right now and that's on social media how about um beyond social media there is there still millions of filipinos who do not have smartphones or even access to wi-fi so we should always remember them that when we are think, thinking of activism, don't just limit it in the world of social media. Because uh, if we want to create uh, impactful change, as the SDGs would always say, we, should, we shouldn't leave no one behind, right? So if you are planning to create campaigns or, or yeah, any campaigns, you should also think of the people beyond social media. Thank you for sharing. And I love that you came up with a bullet point no listing all of the things that our digital natives gen z's can actually do to be more active in the activism space but actually i was thinking as well maybe uh, they're quite wary about the word activism because there's also a word for advocacy right being the more appropriate term yeah. to thinking beyond yourself and advocacy is not just mm -hmm. about launching a movement or big kind of actions even just yeah. for advocating for yourself is actually a form of advocacy um second yeah. thing jules i had this conversation last night no with a, a friend of mine and i love that you pointed out how we should always supplement online actions with offline activities and that goes with any kind of offline campaign because i had this question to him about how difficult it is to actually mount offline rallies for example right now people becoming more apathetic and his response was that because once people go to online world once they're they're done with their rants then they close that chapter of you know speaking out about a certain issue so they move on and I think that's important that we have to develop this kind of mindset of activism that our world is not just limited to social media, which, by yes. the way, one leads me to my point of pinning down to one particular issue specifically on disinformation and misinformation. Mm -hmm. How do we activate the youth to deal with this specific issue of our times today? 
How can we activate information? Them? Yes. Well, yeah, right now, disinformation is really a huge problem in our democracy as a whole. Not just in the Philippines, but globally. Um, I mentioned earlier that social media is now being weaponized. Weaponized for so many agenda. Either for political wins. Mainly for political wins, actually. Right? Because... Um, In 2020, or at least in, 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 the, in the past administration, before 2016 in the Philippines, there was this kind of mindset that social media wouldn't be so much of a factor in the elections, but we were all wrong, right? As early as 2014, 2015, from the Rappler stories uh, I, I've read for their investigation, stories were seeded already about Duterte. And then come 2016, there's this whole um, support already, right, for for um, for Duterte to run as president. And then during the campaign, before the campaign season, there there were so many back and forths already, right? Duterte will not run, and then he will run, he will not, and he will, and then he eventually did, right? So that kind of strategy really worked for the Philippines. That kind of drama. I mean, Filipinos love drama, right? I mean, we have teleseries every day. So that kind of drama really worked for us. So from his entire term, right, so many bloggers or influencers were tapped to pound on so many messaging. Um, I, I, I wouldn't go into the specific issues already, but think of, Messaging A, like, for example, uh, messaging A, this message needs to be um, disseminated. And then you have a lot of, you have the government communications agency, and then you have the influencers with so many networks. That kind of structure really worked for them. So um, the question right now is, how can we make that, how can we replicate that kind of successful structure for the truth, right? Because usually, um, I, I mean, when I was with Rappler, um, I was working with the team for Facts First PH, and our main challenge was how can we make the truth um, fun, sexier, you know, something that people will really be passionate about of. Because it's not usually drama, right? It's usually it's usually boring. The truth usually is boring because you need facts. Eh? So the question right now is how can we rep how can we replicate that kind of successful structure from the from from their strategy for the truth for democracy? And I think that what we did with Facts First PH was a good start. Because we did not only uh, work with media outfits, it was basically a four layer. So you had the media outfits. So we tried to engage with so many media organizations. The second layer is the CSOs, the civil society organizations, because you have the CSOs with so many networks of organizations and their primary role is to help the media in propagating their factual information 
the third one is with the academe because the academe should be involved in studying why the people why some why most consumers are choosing influencers or other sources of information whether it's wrong or correct and yeah basically their main role is to create studies for us to realize the the behaviors the mindset of people and the and interpreting the data as well and the last layer was the legal layer the legal layer is very important because we also need to tap the legal sector to you know if cases are needed to be filed for those propagating lies then let's do that right so that's the structure of facts for speech basically I, i mean i'm not in the position right now to speak for them but at least that was my experience when i was working with them so i think um the 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 task right now is how can we how can we involve other generations because right now I, i think it wouldn't be hard for us to involve the younger generation especially i mean when we were younger we had that feeling right we, we wanted to be involved we wanted to do something for social good etc so it, it's easier for us to engage with the younger sector but how about the the gen x the boomers right mm-hmm. who also have a big uh, presence in, in social media i i, I think it it goes simply the, the approach should be very um uh, engaging and not antagonizing because usually there's this you know there are so many stories that we hear that they antagonize their elders that hey you're fake news right basically you're hitting their ego and I- I- instead of them listening to us they will just say i'm i'm your elder so you should just listen to me so just shut up right so something like that so Um, we also still need to to think of uh, our culture in the Philippines, right? Um, I'm don't I don't know if this is fortunately or unfortunately that we have this kind of seniority within our within our society. But I think it it's more on being strategic for the young people right now to you know still respect your elders, but there are so many ways to approach them respectfully to make them realize that hey um uh what what's your source let's see your source oh that's that, that's coming from um weird looking url so let's try to compare it with another source so yeah so just be creative with your approaches well thank you Jules and you know for giving us that crash course and that different perspective i acknowledge the you know this can be uncomfort uncomfortable conversations with our elders at this point um but we need to have that you know we need to advocate to have that conversation so thank you for putting that out um before we close anything um, that you'd like to share but what's up with Jules Giang right now where can we find you um you know and how can we you know follow your journey yeah so i'm mostly on the on on the um on the back end right now um compared to, to what i was doing 10 years ago no so i'm i'm with the asian development bank, bank right now it's a totally different kind of work but i'm quite enjoying it um but on the advocacy side of course the 2030 youth force is still there so if you're still 
uh, if you are an advocate for the sustainable development goals just visit um 2030 youth force in the philippines on facebook then we will just communicate with you there if you are um um a business owner in the area in Quezon City especially in Maginhawa or Malinga or if you plan to to set up a, a food business here do visit uh, Maginhawa Food Community because we are working closely with the LGU and they're very supportive of us and yeah if, if you're in the area as well and if you want to eat at the restos here uh, please visit our restaurants my our uh, my family restaurant is Urban Chick here so I'm just promoting that here so yeah thank you so much for having me I enjoyed this conversation. Well, awesome. I, you know, have been looking forward to visit Maginhawa again by the time I visit the Philippines soon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, Thank and you. with that, mm-hmm, we conclude the, the second episode of the GNA podcast. Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you, Jules, for sharing your Thank perspective you. and your insight to us and for everyone who's tuning in. Remember to follow us in our Facebook channel or subscribe to the GNA podcast channel to stay informed about our latest episodes. It's been a meaningful episode today, and we've learned a lot of insights from Jules on how the youth can be torchbearers in the fight against disinformation. And in our next episodes, we will explore the role of AI and tech companies and feature guests who are making waves in this space. This episode is brought to you by Media Civics Lab Fact Checking Academy by the Break the Fake Movement in partnership with Internews. We are your hosts, Ayana Garcia. And I'm Gab Bellionis, and you're listening to the GNA Podcast.